Hello and welcome to the 2010s, a collection and retrospective of the best music of the 21st century. My name's Nate, your host, and today we have Everything Everything. The remarkably consistent British act has just released their newest album, Raw Data Feel. Raw Data Feel is a combination of their wonderfully dexterous indie rock and pop roots alongside some new flavors of dance, all combined with a fascinating look and pseudo-collaboration with AI, all mixed into one engrossing package. We talk to them today on the 2010s. Ooh, it's easy to lie when nothing makes sense anymore. I guess to start, I'm, something that I noticed that came up in the album a lot it was, especially Bad Fridays, this idea of kind of outsourcing memory. You are personally forgetting something, but it's then being compared to a phone or a computer having something erased. But it's a difference between the machines having an error and maybe whoever's there is purposely trying to forget something. And I I feel like that comes up quite a few times in the record. And I was wondering how you guys kind of talk about that theme or going about that theme of a comparison between a memory, a malfunction for a machine, and then, you know, ignorance is bliss or healing through forgetting trauma? Uh, I think it's a, a sort of metaphor that just it comes to me before any other, really. I've, I've definitely put it in songs before. In fact, a really early song called Crisis Over had a bit in it that was almost exactly the same, talking about how your your memories are gone because your hard drive's broken kind of thing. Um, I think it's just a very, it's a very obvious analogy, and it's something that is more prevalent now than it ever has been. Um, but it's also a, a way that I grew up with my computer and caring about the stuff I'd made and 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 being upset when I'd lost it. So I guess it's a it's a very easy way to think about things and to and to not think about things um, is to sort of shuffle them off onto into binary and 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 not not access them every, every <laughs> everything i say feeds into the same analogy you know um the idea of an error or, or ram or um defragging even works really well you know people talk about getting a weekend away to defrag and it's the same thing you know or people say that sleep is defragging your brain and just re you know putting it all back in order and making sense of the day and planning the next day yeah it's just i know that it come up but previously in your lyrics it felt like this was so central to this album partially because you know from other interviews i've read there's this idea of like you're going through protagonists like kevin or jennifer to kind of you're defragging through characters but then those characters within the songs are also using tech to cope so it's sort of like this little russian nesting doll of coping mechanisms all the way down yeah, it's like gonzo songwriting a lot of the time. I saw somebody discussing how that's another song from the re last record, and they were saying how can how can there be how can the words be uh, wrong but in the right order? And I was thinking about that myself, and I was thinking, well, that's because I myself am doing an example of the words are the words are what is it? The words are wrong, <laughs> the words but, are wrong in the right but in the right order. In yeah. in as much as that sentence doesn't make sense, but you still get it because I am personally supposed to be, that's meant to be happening to me while I tell you the story. My words are getting jumbled up, but you still get it. And that's what I was trying to capture in that line. So I guess it's a similar thing um, 
with what you just said that I've already forgotten. But I think it had a, I think it had a similar vibe. No, it's no, it's like gon the Gonzo thing is what I'm saying is that I tell a story to try and deal with it, but then they are also dealing with it because it's depends how many layers you want to go back, you know. And then maybe someone will use this record to do the same thing for themselves, you know. And then maybe they'll, you know, someone will dig up their blog in 80 years and then they'll do it, you know. I think it has kind of ironically resulted in our most sort of empathetic and human record, really. Even though it's all kind of spoken about through this gauze of technology and, as you say, binary software. Um, I think it that's just the the access to stuff that is really, really basic and, and really and experienced by every human really. Trauma and loss. Yeah, exactly. And I was kinda of wondering on the musical side, because y'all have ever always done stuff that is treading between emotions it can be bittersweet or ambivalent you know all this stuff but on this album especially there's a lot more dance influence i'm thinking hex i'm thinking shark week uh bad friday obviously and a lot of those will have either vocal me melodies or samples that kind of sound a little bit almost more like hip-hop thinking of hex again um and Shark Week especially has this kind of cheeky grin to it, even though at that opening like couplet, it seems like something terrible is happening. But it's the music's kind of sarcastic about it. The lyrics are kind of sarcastic about it. And I was wondering what the balance of that was for y'all, of kind of meeting horror musically with some cheekiness or some danciness. I think that's where, we, where we're at our most comfortable, really. It's where we've had our biggest successes. Um, it's, it's kind of another way of dealing with something is to have that attitude towards it and it putting it into music is is a luxury but I think the, the way I deal with a lot of things is, is in that same um, not entirely serious way or to sort of um, play play with what's happening rather than fall fall right into it you know and and experience bad things um, or good things is to take everything as a bit of a um, not a joke but I definitely have the attitude that that um, crazy shit happens all the time and you know I'm, I take the rough with the smooth and I think that comes across in the music and it's a good way of of uh, communicating something that might be dark or difficult rather than um, dragging everything down and, and, and wallowing in it, you, you sort of fight back, I think, as well. It's sort of finding the absurdity mm. in stuff. I think that it doesn't really matter if it's a good thing or a bad thing that you're talking about. There's always something absurd in it. And that yeah. seems to be the thing that we kind of amplify. Yeah, because, again, that does come up lyrically and musically. I'm thinking back to a fever dream of how over-the-top, like, uh, Ivory Tower is at certain points, you know? Uh, or, you know, going back to Get to Heaven of closing No Reptiles with Fat Child in a pushchair, you know what I mean? Like, the you guys mix these huge swells of emotions with absurdity because it's almost like this is how the human brain's going to meet this moment that's almost too much is to kind of be like, this is also absurd. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Life is absurd, and it's the best art. Sort of picks up on that, I think. Um, yeah, John. I'd also seen. It wasn't really an interview. It was you and a and a. I think a guitar teacher guy talking about ugly music. 
Oh yeah. Um, I was not aware of scouting for girls before this. Thanks. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> There's a signed poster of theirs in this dressing room. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it did remind me of you know kind of chasing novelty, not in a bad way, but as you're trying to surprise yourself, you're trying to surprise an audience with certain things within your music. And sometimes that's just ugliness, whether it's in the lyrics or in the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's not, there's many film directors and, and, you know, classical artists that use ugliness. So, you know, it makes sense that it would work in music. It's also a really multifaceted term, I think, because you could be talking about the grotesque or something that has a kind of grimness to it, but then that can also be quite satisfying. Um, it's quite a broad church, the idea of ugliness. And actually, weirdly, I think it kind of contains a lot of beauty as well. Yeah, I mean, is the is the chest-bursting scene in Alien ugly? I don't know. Is it is it compelling? Yes, definitely. You know, it's is it beautiful? It's weird. Definitely a thing. Ugliness. I think it's sort of too simplistic, especially when it comes to the music, to think of it as something that's kind of gross or or, mm. or um, it's something gory. You, you or, don't expect. It's not really. Yeah, it's it's, it's just that the basic idea of being against the grain in that moment. I think is, mm. is maybe what what we're referring to there. Yeah. Because uh, I I also found that in the sequencing, my my favorite song on the record is Leviathan, which is I think the most straightforwardly beautiful song on there there's orchestrations and it's immediately followed by shark week which is awesome and dancey but also like actively transgressive in a couple of ways especially when where it's placed in the album yeah we um we were conscious of that the kind of hard reset partly because if you were listening on the vinyl you'd you'd turn the record over at that point but also even you know like 95 percent of people you're not listening to it in that way I think sometimes having that kind of slap around the place is kind of necessary. Plus, we do tend to want to not contradict ourselves, but I think you, you get away from any any sense of sort of sentimentalism or um, sappiness if you if you you know we we love that song, but we wouldn't want to put it on such a we couldn't close the record because that would have been putting it on too po-faced a pedestal. Well, yeah, it kind of, Jonathan, I think you said this in the Ugly Music interview, you talked about how the ending of No Reptiles is kind of a fake out, and then you immediately go into Warm Healer. So you kind of pull the rug out from the listener, and then there's suddenly like, here's this kind of six minute sad love ballad after an album of political tunes. And it's almost like, well, yeah, defragging, you've reset the listener's expectations. So suddenly they can get punched in the gut like a little bit more, so to speak. The, the, having a having all one flavor and all one theme is never is never interesting enough there's there's so many colors to the lived experience and albums should reflect it and, and even if you are trying to write a song that's all about one thing other things get in there you you laugh at a funeral you know there's things that's in a song it, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that oh been, my I, god! We were talking about the absurd. <laughs> yeah, Christ. Oh, sorry, I've undercut you. Yeah, well, you know what I'm, you know what I, I mean. You. There's two, the, two. All one flavor is is not, you know, not a good chef. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, now I'm just thinking there was a kind of shit post music where it was one week by Bare Naked Ladies, but every note is It's Been. It's, like, been. it's just that opening cut up until like a mini keyboard. And it's it's fascinating. I don't know if I listen to it all, but you know, you listen to the first minute, you're laughing, and then you're like, oh no, this hurts my ears, you know? Um, but it, it's, com- yeah, uh, going back to the grotesque, the grotesque is also often compelling. Definitely. It's hypnotic. But it also, it doesn't work unless it's contextualized, right? Yeah, when you have just the grotesque, you just, it you, you're blind no to power. it almost immediately. So, yeah. We, we, we've learned that through experience about lots of things in the music and in everything we do, really. That, uh, there are certain really powerful things that we can do, but if we lean into them too hard, they lose their potency. Like my mum always used to say, I shouldn't swear all the time because swearing is great and you save it for the moments that really matter. <laughs> I like that. No, I like that. Uh, well, yeah, I was thinking, especially when the singles first came out, I was really taken aback by, by Jennifer because it sounds different than, a, you know, it's got the slide guitar um, and especially as compared to the other singles, it really felt like an outlier. And then you, it's very beautiful. And if you're not paying attention to lyrics, you're just like, it's beautiful. And then obviously a lot of trauma in that through Jennifer. And then the bridge having Raymond from My Keys, uh, you know, getting killed and his head put in the dustbin is like, whoa, what the fuck just happened? It's like this sneaky subversion of like a beautiful country ballad. Yeah, it's exactly that. Well, c- country ballads usually have somebody Someone died. killing the yeah. dog and stuff. There's some, a lot you know, of murder. There's a lot of yeah. murder. Killing their wives. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, yeah. And they're, they're always, but they're always presented in a, folky. you know, like an, it's a, a relaxed, folky way. Mm. But actually, I don't think we're crazily far off the mark if it's if we're comparing it to country although we, we didn't intend that Alex just put a load of slide over it, <laughs> it, is, it I didn't know it was a country song when I wrote the lyrics basically <laughs> yeah I think it just has the certain hallmarks I don't really think of it as a country song in, like, in no. terms of form yeah. and convention but, that, but the chorus you know with the the backing vocal thing it is kind of it is folky actually yeah I suppose it is it's sort of like 70s folk rock yeah. isn't it yeah. Yeah, you're right that it is sort of an outlier we felt like that at the time it was kind of added in at the 11th hour having been a demo we'd kind of forgotten about and then we ended up all really kind of preferring that track actually it's, it's definitely everyone's one of everyone's favourites um, partly because it doesn't really sound like us it's quite refreshing I think on the palette coming from our band uh, I, I was going to ask uh Jeremy, on your kind of what you took into the album, because I know Alex has started doing more and more work on these like self-made synths of his. Is that like um, the self-made yeah, one? So. As much as he's kind of assembling the, he's buying independent individual modules and kind of assembling it. So that le- it feels like with guitar on this album is a little bit less of like the main melodic element i'm thinking of pizza boy in particular the bass is the melodic element of that song like that's the melodic hook um and like i had said previously hex and shark week are so rhythmically focused that you know it's the rhythm section that's carrying the majority of that that sort of part of the song and i was just wondering if your technique or process had changed at all the pizza boy is john's bass line and I really like it because oh, it's quite an unnatural thing. For, it's quite an unnatural way for a bass player to play because it starts with a hammer on. It just isn't really conventional at all. <laughs> and quite a lot of things like that occur when John's demoing that wouldn't occur to me um, because they're 
the less conventional ways of playing, I suppose, or the less formal ways of playing. Um, <clears throat> so I just try to to expand on on the the sort of original spirit that John's demoed. That that happened with Teletype, which is a really simple three note thing, but the right hand is really kind of shuff, almost strummy. I'd never have come up with that. Written on bass, actually. That's yeah, cool. yeah, which yeah. is super unusual. So rare. Yeah. Um, but all of the rhythmic feel is kind of contained within the bass line. So I was just sort of trying to just extemporize uh, the original spirit of the of the things. And and in more broadly as well, you know, me and Mike, um, all of us are kind of across all of the music. You know, we're not really that, we don't really stick to our own departments, sometimes to, to our detriment, really. But I'm glad, I'd much rather be part of a band that thinks that way, really, and works that way. It's um, it's kind of boorish, I think, if you're playing drums or if you're playing bass, to be just a, just think like a bass player. I, I, you have to think of it as a musician generally first, and, yeah, and I mean, as an got, instrumentalist second. And any music that fails to, I'm deeply suspicious of like guitarists who play the guitar and that's their primary function, like Eric Clapton or mm. Jeff Beck, or all of that music is so boorish and boring. And they, they're playing their instrument and that should be enough for you. I've gone off on a tangent now just because I dislike that so intensely. If you're an instrumentalist who, who isn't thinking, isn't there to serve the song, basically, then you're, you're on the wrong track. Well, yeah, because like, especially towards the end of this record, I'm thinking Kevin's Car and Born Under the Meteor have these sort of different rhythms that I hadn't heard as much in your music. There's almost that cumbia bump, bum bump, bump, I think on Kevin's Car. Um, it's kind of hard to convey that groove, actually. We, we're yet to play it live. We're about to sound check it. Um, it's kind of hard to. It's hard to get into into the groove with that one. Is it not the same as Spring Sun? Something similar, isn't it? Bum, 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 kind of feeling. Yeah. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. Yeah, similar. But played quite differently. Yeah, I, I, I sonically as well. There were there were things I'd not. And we're getting into finer detail here, but I, like I've, I've played loads of like semi-acoustic basses and with flat wounds on them, and I didn't use any amps. I just I just went straight from the pedal board into my into the board. Um, there was no. It was quite it was quite rustic and simple, really. Yeah, I wanted to know kind of on that point, just like you know, not getting into the technique as much. But what are y'all having the most fun with right now as this record has come out? I know you're sound checking some of the new things, but has there been anything like as it's come out of the studio, as you've been playing it more, you're like, oh, this is like something a direction the band needs to go in more, be, simply because it's fun to play. I'm definitely enjoying singing lower more often. As stupid <laughs> as it sounds, it's, it, yeah. and I think the audience probably appreciate it too. It's. Um, it just make it stops my mind wandering. I'm like, oh, I can, you know, this is actually just me singing rather than me trying to run a hundred meter sprint, um, which is just a nice feeling, and it gets me in much more into relaxing into the music rather than kind of going fuck, fuck all the way through, which is what a lot of our older music is like. <laughs> I had tried to. Um... Uh, there, there's a thing here in Austin called Karaoke Underground where indie record label songs and I've tried to suggest some of your tunes and they're like, no one can sing that shit. I literally like, saw on Reddit this morning someone saying I can never find these guys on, in karaoke because it's for the same reason. Literally just today I saw that about an hour ago. 
There, there was an ongoing thread on Stereo Gum a while ago in the comments of like, if you were going to make a your Guitar Hero rock band of the 2010s, and someone had suggested Blast Doors as one of the last songs for the full band. It's really um, hard to play, so yeah. Yeah. I was about to say y'all go, y'all go on every single one of you. I, I'm a bassist, and I've tried to, I've played along with that one, and it's again, you're carrying the melody in a lot of that tune, and it's fast. <laughs> So yeah, a little bit less on your vocals, not screaming, not, you know, hurting things. After, you know, five al albums, it's just like a nice change, really. And the songs are just so fun on this record. They're not, um, they're just really, they're just fun. It's, a, it's the word. They, they sound good. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, we've, um, We've really got our teeth into it live in the last week or so, because we were only playing five songs from from the record for most of this year, and we just had a chance to kind of um, actually break the other stuff out. Um, and we're playing, you know, ten, nine, ten, eleven songs from the album every night, and people don't seem to be tiring of the, you know, the classic folly of playing too much new material. It doesn't seem to be a problem here. We had the same thing on Get to Heaven. Just everything lent itself really well to that environment and not every album is or should be that way designed but this seems to this seems to carry well really light and we're really enjoying playing the songs yeah um i, I had more of a question that's like kind of on the genesis of one of the songs it's going back to leviathan i had read about alex was dealing with some grief at the time and then there was kind of like this trying to place it into the music in a very graceful way and you have this beautiful you know violin string section going with you i'm just wondering what the process for y'all is when you're someone you're very close with is dealing with grief and then you're trying to transfer that in a very graceful way into the music hmm i think you just channel it instinctively somehow i mean it's, i wasn't writing the lyrics so it's harder Harder to yeah, but, you, but I think it's more interesting asking you because I, the lyrics, I can write words <laughs> with meanings. How do you play the bass sensitively? You know, well, just that really with with, with warmth and sensitivity and grace and beauty and some sense of sculpture to it. Basically, hmm. that just that's just what the track demanded naturally and what came naturally to me. It was like a one take thing. That yeah, um, and it's nothing very, it's nothing particularly complicated. Playing the roots, the the beat. All I'm doing is outlining the harmony that's already there, really, and the, the, all of the all of the feeling is contained within the harmony and the melody. I think the thing that struck me about that song in the first time, especially listening through the album, is that how much space that song allows itself, as compared to so many of the other songs are clustered together just kind of thrumming with things and that one has a full break towards the end you have instrumental breaks and you have a lot of pauses that just kind of it's like a breath it feels like yeah we we never ever allow those things to occur <laughs> it's good that we let that stuff in yeah. a bit more increasingly although i say a bit more i think in a way we've probably allowed ourselves one or two moments like that on every album they're just less yeah. obvious than that that one is especially stark. You know, we were, we were talking a lot about Talk Talk. And actually, Alex wanted it to be structurally very different to how it turned out. Originally, he wanted it to be a kind of hairpin crescendo type song, rather than something more traditional with a verse and a chorus. But the, the hook that he'd written on the guitar 
we just thought was so irresistible as 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 a vocal melody. But I love the fact that it's it's established. The first first chorus in that song is instrumental, so you know the theme before you put any sense to it, you know, um, which is again something we've never done. Uh. I was wondering about, you had kind of mentioned that there are other songs, you know, you have one or two moments on other albums that have space. I might just be reading into this too much, but I know at the end of the Fever of Fever Dream, you have White Whale, um, which is probably the big spacious moment allowed to breathe on that. And it's just interesting to me that lyrically you've had two songs that are Leviathan and White Whale, you know, obsessions, massive creatures that are beyond what they are as creatures, but both of them are songs about love at the end of it and i'm just curious about the juxtaposition on that well all songs are about relationships if you think about it hard enough so it's not surprising that i've used big sea monsters a couple of times now <laughs> it's uh just shows my lack of creativity <laughs> but there's something there's something cool about the um the vastness of the sea, I suppose, that just makes it all the more uh, impressive than a land animal. Like, I suppose I've used dinosaurs here and there, but there's nothing like a whale, you know. Uh, unknowable. Yeah. Insurmountable. And the intelligence and, yeah. and the fact that they the, exist at the all. The total silence. Yeah. With the, all the power that's that's there, you know, it's, um, it's yeah. definitely very captivating. We've done a few kind of seafood songs <laughs> yeah we Choice have the, the mariana the mariana yeah, yeah we use it a lot yeah it's all there quartz qwerty being yeah qwerty being drugged up from the ocean floor yeah oh yeah i mean if you're going to go into that kind of detail it's probably a lot of hell of a lot of it <laughs> probably know better than we do i woke up weirdly i woke up this morning thinking about the white whale leviathan thing just the, the sort of relationship there so happy just to crawl across the land is supposed to be like a coming out of the sea yeah um that's what it means yeah it's all over the place yeah not to get too much into oh you've done this before on previous albums but i do on the video for in bird song you have the fox kind of plastered and you know taxidermied and you mentioned the fox dying again on this record um and i think I don't know. The way I kind of took it is that from the interviews I've read and some of the stuff in this album, it feels like y'all, there's more joy. There's a little less cynicism in some of the stuff. And it feels like the fox is almost like the little voodoo puppet to get that out of the way because it represents some of the earlier stuff. And I was just, I was wondering about the fox. Probably does. I remember when in Birdsong video first went up online, I was reading all the comments and one of them said, this feels like a goodbye, even though it was our first single off the fucking record mm -hmm. and I, I to begin with I was like oh shit what does that mean and then the more I thought about it I was like oh I, I think it might be actually I just didn't realize and um, I think that probably that comment appeared because it was watching it live and I, that happened when it you know it zoomed out from us and from the dead fox and I thought oh that's actually because I found that dead fox because I didn't know what I was doing when I made that video and I was looking through 3D models that I hadn't made because I didn't know how to make them. So I had to use anything that someone else had made. And someone just had just scanned a dead fox. Just They'd just done it. And uh, and I downloaded it because it was free. That's the, the only reason I had that fox. I just thought, hey, that's kind of cool. And then I thought, I think you can make things any size you want in this program. So I just made it fucking massive. That's all I did. And then 
the camera movement and the fact that we're sitting on it and uh, the way it moves out and you suddenly see what it is it suddenly just brings all this incredible meaning and emotion that's just and I was just sat there like holy shit how how is this um, do giving me all these feelings you know it's just some guy just found this fox in the woods and decided to scan it with his phone I guess and upload it and probably forgot all about it yeah so anyway I, I purposely used the fox again I wanted to say it was dead and I and it's in Shark Week which is again the one where I'm sort of at my most sarcastic and most like aggressive probably and then I just threw it in there like yep yeah, don't give a fuck anymore it is dead and then here's a bit about the Burger King you know as well just to add insult to injury just how much I'm just like yep yeah, fuck it I'm gonna have a burger or whatever whatever that's meant to me <laughs> The Holy Burger King was something I wanted to include and just sort of reverence for capitalist icons is something I really wanted to do and take it as if I loved these things, you know, as much as a god. Didn't quite come across with the Coke and Pepsi thing, but I think it, the fact that I made that such a big part of the song is hopefully sort of, you get the message. Um. Yeah, I just had like, yeah, one last question, which was kind of, which is about Great Man, which, you know, closes the album and it's kind of a bookend because at the opening you talk about don't not wanting to go inside, being with a partner, maybe to, you know, let that be easier or looking on your phone. And then at the end, you say that again, and then the, not just your vocals, but the entirety of the music just feels like it's being sucked into a computer, you know, or a smartphone, just the way that it's everything's glitching. Um, the fact that the last lyrics are are you a gambling man all this and i was wondering in terms of sequencing but also in terms of an internal narrative how much you were like okay we gotta get this ending into this kind of computerized ever all of the bands just being sucked into a screen kind of feeling i don't think that was the last song when we recorded it no it wasn't it was just a it was, song it was one of the songs it wasn't um it was almost neglected at one stage um yeah it was basically remixed yeah, the eleventh hour by Alex, which is why it does sound like that. The, that last section was a sort of much more traditional eight-bar, four-chord pattern, and he took two of those bars away, so it has this kind of keening quality. The six-bar pattern, three chords, three bars—that's very everything, everything. We've done that so many times, but I love it because it kind of it keeps things moving forwards. It never settles. It just it has a certain perambulation of its own, um, and that was something that came about in post, which is really rare for us. We rarely edit things, we rarely arrange in post, but that was one one example of that happening. And then um, the little ravey synth at the end was a, just a total accident. It was an accident, yeah, he left it on the end of the track by accident. He, he chucked it over there to show us later and accidentally outputted the whole thing with it on. And then we, and then he said, "Oh, sorry, we, you know, I didn't mean to put that there." And we were like, "No, that's the best bit. <laughs> Leave that on." Happy accident. Yeah. Mm. It's like Her Majesty at the end of Abbey Road, which actually I think kind of spoils the end of that record. But it, that was an accident. So that that <laughs> ridiculous, like, really loud orchestral chord was the end of a different song, and then this little demo tagged on the end, and and these it's just left on the reel. So they didn't contrive it that way, it just came out that way. So it makes me like it more now. 